0: All right. Happy Friday, everyone. And welcome back to another Learning Tech Talks, where we are continuing to explore the landscape of learning technology while cutting through the fluff and getting your questions answered while exploring all sorts of fun stuff. So today, uh, today's going to be, I I haven't quite figured out how to describe what category I would put better up in, but we're talking (laughs) about better up and I have Maya Garza joining me. And so we'll get into that we'll get into that because I'm curious how you articulate but there's there's a mix of coaching and employee well being and we've we've got a lot of different things going on here so so we'll see how we go through that piece but before we do, we always like to have a little bit of fun with things. So for those of you who are just joining and tuning in live, why don't you play along comment in with us and let's start with this Maya so your first question, I'm gonna throw a a slow pitch to you is where are you in the world today.
1: Where am I in the world today? I, well, I'm in my office physically, um, outside very of literal. Seattle. Like very little outside yeah. of Seattle on a, on the Kitsap Peninsula. If those folks who know the Pacific Northwest okay. recognize well,
0: there's, it, there's yeah. a fair amount from that region. So, what's funny about that is, so okay, so now this is making sense because right before we went live, everybody, just to give some context, because otherwise you'll just be missing it. <laughs> is, you were, you were from Florida, and so you're mm-hmm. used to the heat. Your husband's yep. not a fan of the heat and humidity, so you're in yep. Seattle. So yeah. how did you land there?
1: Oh, how did I land there? Well, it all started with a very, very determined life goal that I had for myself okay. after I finished grad school. Um, I went to grad school in Ohio. It was very cold those several years that I was there, and I moved to D.C., uh, and my goal in life was, uh, one to never leave DC cause I loved it still do. Yeah. And two, um, because I was post grad school. So if you imagine late twenties, um, I said, well, I'm never going to date anyone in the military. Cause that was also something I was doing when I was working. And then I met my husband who happens to be in the military. So when there went that rule, uh, and of yeah. course, because he's in the military, we moved, And uh, Ah. so we have now lived in Charleston, South Carolina. We've had a few stints in Florida. um, And then we moved to San Diego, which was beautiful. And from San Diego, we moved to the Seattle area.
0: Okay. Okay. Got it. All right. So so it's not that you won't ever go back to where it's hot and humid. (laughs) Just for right now, you're doing a stint in Seattle.
1: That's right. I do think if I want to take my husband with me, I will probably need to go somewhere that is not year round hot and humid.
0: Okay, okay, so you don't mind the seasons, okay. No, No. Right.
1: I just prefer not winter.
0: Just, <laughs> <laughs> I love seasons, except winter. That That's right. That I, do I could okay. leave that right. one behind. You could leave that one off. Though. All right, yeah. all right, which I can... Even being in, so I'm in Milwaukee, the Milwaukee area. So winter is definitely a, a good chunk of yeah. our time. In fact, it's mm-hmm. just wrapping up now. So, you know, we, we've adjusted to it. All right. Well, <laughs> so let's shift gears. Well, we're not shifting gears quite yet because we have the icebreaker question okay. that we have for you too. So you're in Seattle. And again, if you're watching, you can play along with this as well. But Maya, where would you build your dream home? <sighs>
1: See, this is like uh, I, I imagine that my husband and I will need marital therapy at some point over this question <laughs> alone um, be, because so it's been it out here. So when that's right. I, I'm getting, some, like, practice. I'm getting some practice. I'm getting some practice. There you go. That's you right. Go. That's right. So this. for probably close to 10 years, we have been talking about this. Like, where would we okay. where would we either retire? Or he will retire before I retire, as he likes to point out. Um, and I would love to be somewhere by a beach. it preferably if it were not humid by the beach i would love for it to be within walking distance of a town that has restaurants and shops um something maybe like within driving distance you could be more in like forest area so some mountains i haven't quite found that spot exactly all right but that's where it would be my husband would be on a farm with chickens and land and so he might need wife number two for that one but Um, maybe we'll see. We could vacation there.
0: (laughs) I like your, I like your criteria. Okay. All right. Well, that makes sense. So for me, mine, I actually can perfectly picture this. I I don't know. similar to you. If this day ever comes, my wife and I will Mm -hmm. probably need a mediator and I don't know if she'd be a hundred percent on board with this, but so for mine, I can already picture it. It'd be Mm -hmm. in the mountains. So I was born in Colorado and spent my younger years there Mm -hmm. and loved the mountains. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it'd be up in the mountains on a lake there uh, has to yeah. be a lake the lake with, with mm-hmm. pro- yep there's got to be a lake it doesn't got to be a mountain lake up there yep mm-hmm. lots of space log cabins. see i'm very particular it's got to be a big log cabin that's it i have a lot of kids so there's got to be plenty yeah. for them to run around yep. yeah okay. my
1: kids call right. those well, the the lincoln log cabins because yeah
0: I, well i would if it was made of lincoln logs that would be fine that would be perfect, I don't yes. care. as long as they're big lincoln logs, big ones
1: yep mm-hmm. yeah, it's got to be big yeah. okay all right. Well, so let's shift
0: gears. Let's shift gears okay. over to better up. And let's talk about that a little bit because going back to this so before we get into it though, because I'm really curious to see how you articulate or how you describe it. But before we do, let's get to know you a little bit more because we talked about this briefly as we got started, mm-hmm. but let's unpack this even more. So your background is in IO psychology. So I'm guessing being in ed tech was not something that as a child, you said, you know what, someday I'm going to grow up and I'm going to be in an ed tech company.
1: No, definitely not. Um, I think I was thinking I would work with elephants, um, or I wanted to be a teacher elephants. Yeah. I don't know. I have a thing for elephants. Um, so it was either, either elephants or a teacher, um, but I was really one of those odd ducks that really early on, I kind of like honed in on psychology as something that just fascinated me. Um, I was always extroverted. I loved being around people. Um, and that's kind of how I associated How you work with people is through psychology. Um, I don't know why or how that really started, but that's kind of what it was. And um, when I was in high school, I realized that I didn't want to do what was traditional psychology in my mind, which is therapy or clinical work. Um, I loved the world of work. Just I loved work. And um, I kind of stumbled upon industrial organizational psychology in, in high school. And it was that that was it. That was it from then on. And what fascinated me most is how we make decisions around the work that we do um, and how we help people get into the jobs that they have. And so I specialized in um, selection, so pre-employment selection testing and judgments and decision making that goes around that whole process. And it was fascinating to me. But why that matters is because in the field of IO psychology, like there's the I and the O. And, and yeah, most people yeah. don't know. It's like the big name. That's like, what does it really mean? It's and a term and the, that's
0: thrown around. I think people have so, heard right it, but and, they and may not necessarily exactly know what that is.
1: exactly. But there is there's so much history and depth to that, and it connects a lot to uh, better up today too. Because the I part of psychology, that's the selection, that's the judgment, and decision making, is the hard science part okay. of of I.O., whereas the O part is the organizational stuff. That's the leadership development, that's the employee training. That's the coaching. And that Got was it. considered softer. It's almost like you could see the parallel between soft skills and hard skills. For a long time, like soft skills just didn't get the, the, the recognition that, that, that they needed on like how important this is. And I yeah. think in the space of IO, it's because there wasn't enough research. There wasn't enough data there wasn't enough evidence to say this is how it works and here's how we can apply really rigorous processes um, and so when i started working it was in the space of, of selection um, and then i kind of stumbled upon a project in leadership and development and i fell in love and that's where i saw oh my if i think about what truly brings people um, in organizations satisfaction and joy and growth and engagement it was all the stuff that happened after they were hired, right? There's a lot of like, not a lot of joy that happens after people are hired as well. No, if that were right, right. We if that were a lot, we are, invest a lot in exactly. the
0: getting them in, right? and then a lot of times they get there and it's just left it. It's blah, oh, okay.
1: yeah, exactly. And so I fell in love with the leadership and development space, and I got into coaching, which was the dark, ho- dark horse of IO. Like, you like that wasn't the stuff that you did <laughs> if you were a real scientist, right? And um, and so I, I started going deeper. And so deeper I have to ask you that. Part. Go for to,
0: it. I actually have okay. to ask you as a Follow up on this. So, you said that was like the dark horse of that section. So, mm-hmm. I am curious do you think that's contributed to why there's not as much research behind it because it's perceived as more the squishier thing? So, people have focused on the more tangible side.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, two, two things y- yes, and it's almost like the chicken and the egg syndrome okay. here, right? Because if you think about traditional coaching, it's been reserved for the upper echelons, it's the yes. C suite, the executives, right? So You've got one or two people in an organization that are getting coaching. Or you have coaches who are over the course of years only working with a couple of people and they're not rigorously collecting data. There's not enough of a no. mass to understand.
0: Okay. Right? That and makes so sense. which yeah, because you need a fair amount driving. of data to actually be able to come up with exactly. something. And, and it's exactly. such a small okay. That makes yeah. sense. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Sorry.
1: No, it was great, great.
0: Okay. All right. So that makes sense how then you this got you into the space. But now let's let's talk about better up a little bit, because, again, mm-hmm. as I was even thinking, how do I describe it? I mean, there's it's it's gotten a lot of attention recently. So when people mm-hmm. say you work for better up. Yeah. What is that? How do you describe it?
1: Oh wow. So so many ways. But um, so I'd start one with kind of our mission. So BetterUp's mission, um, since 2013 when it was founded, um, has really been to help people everywhere live their right. lives with greater clarity, purpose, and passion. And there are various avenues to that. Now our avenue is through a mobile-based platform for professional. And personal growth and development. So we okay. partner with companies, and we offer their employees uh, coaches for leadership development. Um, we offer them coaches and support if they are new parents, if they are going through massive transitions in their work and in their personal life, um, if they want help with their sleep and their nutrition to bring their best selves to work. So we partner um, with organizations, and we provide dedicated one-on-one care, curated content, coaching, and more. Really, in the pocket of employees, so you have that access and you have that help precisely for the the things that you need in the moment that you need it.
0: Okay, got it. So well, and I think one of the things that's interesting because it can be easy to just say, "Oh, coaching," so it's coaching. But some of the things you hit on there is a little bit different in that. Mm-hmm. A lot of times when we think about coaching at work and I think this gets back to the well-being side of things that that when I mm-hmm. think of better up that's one of the areas that I think about yeah. is the fact that when you think about this a lot of times people's association with coaching is very specific to their job role. You know, yeah. I'm coaching you on how to be a better leader or how to be more yeah. successful in your role. And some of the examples you just gave there are very not necessarily seen as role specific, if you're talking about Mm -hmm. nutrition, or, or health, things like that. So how, I have to imagine that sometimes is met with a little bit of a sideways, like, why? So I'm curious, Mm -hmm. how, how has that approach impacted the space that you've played in?
1: Yeah, uh, that's such a great question. And um, I'll come back to the story of like, why that actually like hits hits a really important point. So like our our vision from the beginning uh, was really for BetterUp to be this gym for personal growth and development. So an experience kind of just packed with personalized care, interactive evidence-based kind of digital exercises and programs, even community engagement that is truly designed to inspire, to educate, to provide like insightful feedback loops for individuals to help them track progress and optimize their growth, like all in one place. Because the reality is, I think as many of us and I saw um, when your little girl run by, like <laughs> our yeah. our personal and our professional they don't live in different pockets in they ourselves do you don't turn one off when you walk into the office and just expect it to live there um, it's not like my son who has says he has three stomachs and he can separate that one for dessert one for dinner one for <laughs> snacks it just doesn't work that way right and yeah. so what it made me think of um christopher's with that question is like it's it's funny you ask it because it's par- part of our even interview process is so I work with a team of behavioral scientists, solution consultants, um, and we translate the, the, the science um, of behavior change, of okay. evidence based um, processes to help people grow and develop. And one of the questions that we're often asking people is like, help us connect the dots. Like we know the answers to this, but we want to hear okay. other people articulate it between you know, well-being and performance at work because they're so tightly intertwined. I mean, just take yourself for an example and I can use myself as an example. I have three yeah. kiddos, one of whom is 20 months months old and um, he likes to wake up at 2.30 in the morning sometimes and to last night was one of, those, one of those times. So if you end up being not rested, if you are dissatisfied with what's going on in your life, um, if you are... Um, struggling like gosh through the yep. pandemic if you have kids at home that you are you have you're not just you know um you know the 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 host of a show like this and have your daytime job but you're you're also now teacher and gym yes. teacher right and cafeteria worker and <laughs> all of those things um your your overall performance is going to suffer because your attention is in so many different places um and maybe you're stressed and maybe you're 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 exhausted and your performance at work is going to suffer. And maybe your organization really needs you to step up and innovate and take on more responsibility, which is, by the way, something that we found happened quite a bit when the pandemic okay. hit. Yeah, You can't be at your best if you're not um, really looking at all of those aspects of your life. And when you have support in those places, when you get tips on how to have better sleeping habits, right? Uh, When you get support through how to manage that stress at work and at home, it helps you show up better at work and you perform better at work.
0: You know, it's funny that you talk about this because this is one of those things that I feel like it's a, you, you hear this and logically you go, oh, that makes sense. But a lot of times it's not always immediately translated back Mm -hmm. into the workplace and organizations are not always thinking about it this Mm -hmm. way. I think 2020 in many regards forced this dialogue. It forced this dialogue, but it wasn't new to 2020. It's not like people struggled with this before. And in fact, I think a lot of times just even in my own leadership with my teams, Mm -hmm. you knew when something was off outside of work in, in someone's performance. If you were mm-hmm. paying attention, you knew like something's something's not yep. right. And I remember when I had team members who suddenly were going through a divorce yeah. or they just were having a kid, their first child, and mm-hmm. and you could just see it. And yep. if you don't help address that, you actually it does have a w- tangible workplace thing. So you can pretend, mm-hmm. well, that's not really my business as an organization. Yeah. But the reality is- Yes, it is, because you're dealing with people. This isn't a machine.
1: Right, exactly, exactly. And the the really important aspect of that, too, is not only do you want to help the individuals in going through those situations, you want to provide them support. Um, So like one of the um, most used kind of we have verticals within within our solution is um, new parent coaching and then also um, working through um, uncertainty and change all the uncertainty and change that was coming, you know, through COVID-19 and um, huge uptake in that. Right. But it's really important. I have to
0: imagine. (laughs) um,
1: Right. Um, Amazing for managers of people going through those, right? Is how do you recognize, how do you support, how do you um, adapt your style and help them find the right solutions as well? Um, Cause yeah, as some managers are are enlightened and understand their role within that and and how they can support others, but not everyone is. Um, And I think COVID-19, what it it did do, um, it didn't make this like new science. I think No, it was, it's not it was, like the science of <laughs> the change. And no, we went, wow,
0: no. people have dramatically changed.
1: Yeah, I think it really allowed people to go, I get it now, right? Because if you are now that leader who didn't before quite get it, but now, and I've had this happen, I kid you not, Christopher, is I'm like on a call, a video call like this with an executive at a Fortune 500 organization and their naked child just streaks behind them, <laughs> right? And- and you can like very early on, like embarrassment would go over their face. and yeah. so, so I'm like, listen, we are all living this. We are all in the same boat together. So I think it was a great equalizer and it opened our it eyes was. a little bit more, um, right? Because I liked, <laughs> you, you might've heard this. I can show you all the data in the world. I can show you the research studies and the figures and the charts about why um, looking at the whole person. Why looking at those critical well-being aspects is important and helping people do that. I can show you all the data. But if you yep. think about like your, your kids are a great example. When they go to bed, do they say, dad, show me some data and facts. Or do they go tell me a story? Right. Right. right? And so um, I think this created that life, live story for people a little bit. And, and you yeah. can pull in their personal experience and go, the research studies are there, but like, just think about like yourself for a moment and everyone around you.
0: Well, and your point about it being a great equalizer has, I, I think that's where it's just given bigger exposure to it. Now I was, I was dealing with this before COVID hit. So for mm-hmm. me, going back to that point of the first time it happens, yeah. you're like, oh, you know, oh, this is really awkward and uncomfortable. And then over time you get more comfortable with it. But, you know, cause I think back to, so funny story. And then I'll, I'll share kind of an insight with, you. I, I remember I was I will not mention which company i was with but i was on a very large call Mm -hmm. leading this call and one of my children came in and shouted at the top of her (laughs) voice that she had to go poop right now (laughs) and i remember for me i was just so used to it because this was pre-2020 i was just so used Mm -hmm. to it i just handed the mic off to somebody else turned off my camera and said i'll be back in a minute like it was no big deal. And I remember mm-hmm. in that moment, people just went, oh, did that just, and to me, it was just what? I, yeah. I have something that's going on type of a thing. But I think in 2020, one of the things is you really gator greater, greater empathy towards mm-hmm. that because it was one of these things where even if that wasn't your situation, mm-hmm. you were forced to see that that yeah. is the situation yep. of your employees. Mm-hmm. You got to see a little bit into the window of, oh, their life is, is bigger than just what they bring to work.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that you can value all of those aspects. Um, And, you know, maybe on the topic of parenting, because this is just kind of interesting, um, or at least it's interesting to me, (laughs) maybe interesting to others. Um, We uh, actually ran a study right at the beginning of uh, 2020, uh, not not 20, of the pandemic. And um, one of the things we looked at, we had thousands of of individuals in this study, and we looked at, like, what changed for them, um, how they were feeling, how... how their sleep was, was doing, how, how they were feeling optimism wise. And, and we also asked like, what were your biggest stressors right now? Okay. And this was fascinating. And we then compared two groups of people because as, as you know, people ourselves, we were seeing this within our company. So we wanted to look at it and we compared people with kids at home and people without kids at home. And what we found not, shockingly, is that people who have kids at home, their number one stressor, by far, I mean, it's like if I ever showed you the chart, it would be like hilarious. Their number one stressor was their children at home. If you looked at people without kids at home, it looked very different. It was their customers, actually technology, their boss, who was like now pinging them all the time. Um, And you're like, wow, like people with kids, like they are struggling. But here's where it got really interesting. When we looked at their actual average level of stress of the of the the, the people with kids at home and the people without kids at home, yeah. their level of stress was the same. Okay. So biggest stressor versus their actual level that of changed. stress. That changed. And so they were like, oh, something's going on here. Cause you would think that the people with kids at home would actually be significantly more stressed, right? And the reality is they weren't. And so what we did is we looked at the drivers of the stress and the moderators of the stress. So what was actually happening under the surface? And what we found is that the people with kids at home actually had higher levels of resilience Hmm. than the people without kids at home. They had higher levels of emotional regulation they had stronger connections and a positive association with their organization, feeling like they were getting support from their organization. And they were still experiencing more, um, I'll just simplify and say, like outdoor getting out time. Okay. okay. And that kind of leads you to think like, Wow. Like, one, parents have lots of coping strategies because we've learned how to deal with the crazy, right? And that has built yeah. up our resilience. Um, but, like, the organizational support was really huge. And then in organizations where they felt like they were having the support, that was really helping them quite a bit. And so, like, that that organizational experience that people went through during this time was really critical.
0: Okay. Okay. Interesting. Well, and so that leads me to the to my next question on this, Uh, and I do want to get into. I want to make sure we we unpack kind of how this really works. Um, What's funny is on the parenting topic, Scott Mesh commented, "What doesn't kill you makes you stronger," and I I I suppose there's probably some truth to that one. Um, But so on this, because I think for some leaders and for some organizations, this was a Difficult reality to accept in some regards. Mm-hmm. And and I actually think it's a positive thing that we've been pushed into this because what I've seen over the years is people were forced to compartmentalize, which mm-hmm. actually added another layer of stress mm-hmm. because now you were trying to balance this but not show it. And so you were masking it and this created just way more again i i spent some time in psychology as well like this adds a layer of burden to people that's that can be very traumatic so Mm -hmm. i think from that standpoint this opening the door to that was a positive but not always met with oh this Mm -hmm. makes sense i see doing this is is a good thing so i'm curious as you've treaded into this space as you've Mm -hmm. trying to um as you've tried to move forward How have you helped organizations make that shift? Because going to that point of you can show the data, which it's Mm -hmm. good there's data there, because it's one thing to say, hey, we think we think this is better Mm -hmm. having the data to back it. But I have to imagine at some points that's been met with resistance of, Mm -hmm. well, that's that's not really our responsibility or, you know, I'm not. How have you helped organizations work through that?
1: Yeah. I think that's a really important question because sometimes we walk into organizations and they kind of like, they, they come at this with open arms and give it a big hug because it's part of, you know, their culture as well. And it's part of their evolution and maturity and, 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 and others not, not as much. So if I think about, um, and this kind of goes back to the ethos of, of better up and, and what our, I think, differentiation is in the space. Cause, um, going back to like 2013 and even today, like, We're the inventors of coaching and care at scale. And I think that at scale really matters to answer that question here, because we tap into rigorous behavioral science. That's essential to what we do. Um, We use unique data and AI to not only create these kind of hyper personalized experiences, but then to foster human connection and actual employee engagement. That bit also matters quite a bit, right? So this provides then unparalleled insights and outcomes for organizations. So in this case, it does come back to the combination of the data and the stories. So when we're working with organizations and often either coaching or providing access to our our platform of personal development to thousands of people within one organization, it's really hard to dispute when there are actual changes within the organization, right? And so one of the things that we do, and it's a core part of kind of our, our philosophy is we measure along the way, and this has been a problem with coaching historically is this inability to measure, but we measure along the way each individual's journey, but then that gets aggregated up to the company level or like even the department level or regional level for organizations. And we can connect that to their business Outcomes, right? Okay. And then we can track for the organization what impact it's having. Yeah. Got it. Of course, okay. nothing is as powerful as when they actually hear some stories from their own employees or they go through that life changing experience themselves.
0: Okay. So there's two pieces I want to go that, and I told you, we're just going to kind of go down different go paths it. based on where we go one of the things that i'm really curious about that you brought up you talk about the personalization behind this and i think mm-hmm. especially when it comes to coaching this this is a and this is why i want to unpack it a little bit is that as you you know probably from your psychology background a lot of times people don't even really even quite know what they need they're they're not yeah. quite sure they maybe have some insights or maybe some feelings but they don't really know. And so the risk is they might say, well, I need help with this. And really that's not what they need help with. They, Mm -hmm. they actually need help with this. So when you're talking about this personalization piece, how is better up helping people Mm -hmm. get that coaching and development on the right things? Because, because you have the risk of saying, well, you're getting all the help, but you're doing it on the wrong, in the wrong places.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that uh, this is a great question, um, and it's actually it comes from a couple of different places. So one of them is um, what the part part of our process when people kind of onboard into the platform and the whole better up experience is they go through um, an, an onboarding assessment, and that onboarding okay. assessment looks at um, it assesses the our whole person model, so um, mindsets and behaviors that are really important for your success. Um, at work and outside of work. So um, things like your growth mindset, your um, your, self-awareness, and then in the behavior space, like, Things like your physical thriving, your social thriving, your emotional thriving, cognitive thriving, um, as well as really specific kind of uh, behaviors around what it takes to inspire as a leader at work. So how are you motivating others, okay. guiding others, including others? And so we measured those things. And then we also ask about, and I won't tell you everything because it's a proprietary algorithm, um, <laughs> but <laughs> um, and this is where some of the AI comes in to make it happen for thousands of people, right? At scale okay. is, um, We'll ask about things that are going on in your in your work life. What are the transitions that you're going through and the experiences that you've had, and um, and we do ask, what do you think you want to work on? And sometimes people have clarity around that, and sometimes some people they don't have
0: some clarity. Sometimes right, they
1: exactly, don't. and sometimes or sometimes that, like you said, the clarity they have is not quite what your organization might think that you need right so there might be a disconnect there so you have that your own input then you have the opportunity to ask your manager like um hey what do you think i should work on that gets pulled in um and then you meet with a coach and they help you unpackage that very early on and hone in on your goals Um, and then you know a little bit further in the process you even have the opportunity to to do a 360 Get some additional input. And again, you have the manager who can help guide you in unpackaging that, or excuse me, the coach who helps guide you in unpackaging that for you, making your personal development plan. And then there's also the the goals of the organization, right? So oftentimes, like Perfect. we are helping organizations. So taking
0: a bunch of different a data. A bunch
1: of data, right? And you're inputting like, yes, yes. And to the individual, it kind of like seems like, you know what, I just kind of have this personal goal guide right sometimes it's their one-on-one coach or it's maybe their group coach um or maybe it's the magic what might seem like the magic but is really the science of the platform making suggestions of what they what they should digest or look into and the person going oh wow you kind of hit it on the head. That's exactly what I need right now. How God, did I didn't you have, I didn't have words to know. It, I knew. I didn't have words for it, but now I says. do. And you can dig in. So, okay. so it is like this triangulation of of data and information that gets inputted, um, and then the individual gets the right support in the right moment, okay. exactly when they need it.
0: Okay. Well, and that also helps explain. So, first of all, one, I think that onboarding piece really helps unpack why that matters because mm-hmm. this goes back to this whole this is an important piece and and different people have different levels of clarity. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of different data points. And so pulling all that together is going to be a critical factor to get it right. But it also helps explain because the the term AI gets thrown around a lot in our industry. Oh yeah, we have AI. And it's not always really clear as to for what
1: Mm -hmm. or for
0: why, but the the description you gave helps, helps give some color to that because realistically, yeah, there's a lot of data that's coming in from that. And now you're comparing it. And I have to imagine part of what that AI is doing is also assessing all these other pieces of data points. So you can start to find patterns where, hey, if if this person has this set of data, Mm -hmm. this is kind of some things that they need to help better match this. And that's something that I mean, I guess humans could go through, but the sheer volume exactly. and time it would take would be impossible. So what AI is doing then is really mm-hmm. speeding up, looking yep. for those patterns and making this really truly personalized versus just, exactly. Hey, what, Hey, what do you want? Well, well I don't necessarily know. Um, and you yeah. may not have enough data on me to really help make a recommendation or just because yeah. I did this one thing recommending something else may not work.
1: Exactly. Okay. And and that's exactly it. And, and one of the other ways that's really tangible, tangible and I think people who are in the coaching industry would really appreciate this because, you know, traditionally, if you think about, again, I'll go back to executive coaching because that's like what many yeah. people, when they think about positively of coaching, think about that. Like you go through this kind of laborious process of matching individuals to coaches. And sometimes like you interview each other and gosh, that's a lot of lift and effort to do that. Um, and so we use data to help us get almost there right and yeah. if we think about like our network of coaches we have thousands of coaches over 2000 coaches and we're working with hundreds of thousands of of individuals you can't like have conversations with each and every one of them so we actually use our ai technology to match people to the right coaches for them and we have a 97% success rate in doing that on the first time pretty good Right. And so, but we still like, because the individual is still so important in that process. So we're not going to go say, Christopher, John is the right coach for you. We're going to say, Christopher, we've identified three coaches that we think would be the right fit for you. Maybe it's John. Which one do you think? Yeah. And then you get to still have that choice because that matters a lot as well.
0: It does. It's actually, I'm trying to think what study I was reading the other day about this that was talking about, it was being used in... (laughs) I don't remember if it was selection or something else, but it was talking about how when they threw AI at it and just had AI made the decision, Mm -hmm. even though the AI was actually (coughs) doing a pretty good job, the skepticism and the change management and all the stuff Mm -hmm. behind it actually was terrible and it was a mess. Mm -hmm. And all they did was add one step in the process where the AI said, hey, here's a choice. And actually they got better results than the AI could by itself from a a selection standpoint because that human critical component was still there Mm -hmm. and the adoption and acceptance (laughs) from people was there because they said, well, I still have a say in this. I still Mm -hmm. have a role. You're not taking it away, but you're augmenting that process with technology. So I don't have to interview 2000 people because that sounds terrible. I don't want
1: to do that. (laughs) I don't want to do that. want
0: three that have been pretty much matched to me, and then I can Mm -hmm. kind of use my best judgment. Exactly. Okay. Got it. Got it. Okay. So then the next one goes back to this measurement piece that you talked Mm -hmm. about in terms of helping organizations (laughs) with this, because I'm sure there has to be, like we talked about, with some organizations, there still has to be a little bit of skepticism on, oh, this is, you know, this may be a little bit of uncomfortable territory for us, but- you're, you're connecting it and saying, let us show you from an impact standpoint, because this will, we can, we can show you that this is going to make a difference. How then are you working with organizations on that piece? Because I have to imagine there's probably some things that can be relatively universal where you can say, mm-hmm. we can come in and we think we can affect these metrics and these metrics, but then there also has to be a degree of personalization that has to happen there with an organization to help them see what's most important to you.
1: Uh, A hundred percent. That's exactly right. So we measure, um, so using our whole person model, which has 20 plus different dimensions, things like, like I mentioned around, um, including others, guiding others, and there's multiple behaviors that kind of fall, fall under that. And so we, we measure all of those things. Plus we measure outcomes like productivity and engagement and satisfaction. We measure that on our end so we can show kind of before and after and growth, um, And we also connect to the organization's data, right? So organizations often uh, will do engagement surveys. Um, You have productivity measures. Like we just recently, um, I think we shared this just the other day we did um, an outcome study with an organization with their sales professionals where we improved their sales pipeline by 20%, right? And the sales attainment goals. So, so those are big, big deals, big those numbers, big
0: quantitative big attainment. numbers. Yeah. Like we
1: were in the millions of like actual hard dollars that impacted their sales team from, okay. from having access to coaching, right? So you can connect then um, what, what we measure through the specific individual behaviors that are changing, right? So when people's stress has improved, when resilience improved, when their ability to give feedback um, and their um, their ability to align their team and recognize individuals improves, what are the improvements then that occur at the organizational level? And so when, when we look at those things, plus the organizational outcomes, that's where you can really start to see the impact. I mean, I'll even tell you, we we did this specifically with resilience, just to show the okay. impact of like this um, this kind of Uber capability. It's an outcome, by the way. Like some people think that you can turn resilience on and off. Um, it's not like you have to build the capability <laughs> to be resilient. Yeah. Um, so. When we showed that um, organizations, <clears throat> we could only obviously do this for publicly traded organizations, but we went back at the, our organizations that, that we were working with that were publicly traded um, where we could get their year over year growth. And we actually found that organizations that um, grew in resilience that we were working with there um, had an increase by, I think, like four times. Over wow. year, over year growth. It was crazy, uh-huh. crazy. Uh-huh. It might be 40% increase. I'm getting my fours confused, but it was huge and I can send that to you. But I mean, uh-huh. like numbers like that are pretty hard to argue because um, kind of going back to our earlier point, like, people might think that rest doesn't matter or stress doesn't matter or physical or emotional thriving it, doesn't just, matter. No, exactly. But it actually translates. It our, and we can show that path. It goes from, from that kind of um, personal thriving component to how you show up as a leader how you can give feedback, how you engage with others, how you motivate, like, so it builds those critical skills. And that translates into hard numbers for your team's performance. And in fact, there's, um, there's a trickle effect from managers who improve their teams actually do better. And so we've compared um, teams of individuals who are getting coached to teams of individuals not getting coached, and they perform better.
0: Yeah, okay. Well, you know, what's interesting about this, and from a data standpoint, I think this is where you know, somebody asked me recently, what's one of the things that I'm most looking forward to coming out of 2020. And I said, I'm fascinated to see all the data that starts coming out about some of this stuff, because I think there's been historically just a little bit. And I just even think of conversations I've been in where it's been like, well, I didn't, you know, I had to deal with this type of Mm -hmm. stuff. And it's like, well, but what if you hadn't think how much better you could have been? And isn't that really the goal? Not you know, well, I want to, you know, see people just kind of muscle through it or grit their teeth and survive. It's like, well, yeah, but that's not, that's not how you get a thriving mm-hmm. organization. That's, that's how right. you might get one that's making it. You might be mm-hmm. successful, but is, are you reaching your full potential and success? Yep. And without the data, it, it can be hard to to make that sell to somebody who may be having a hard time making that shift uh, yeah. in their head.
1: Well, it's huge too, and so um, we recently did some work um, and we did some research um, on the concept of languishing, and um, so like I think I shared a chart that you can show, but this is kind of cool in that. Um, I'll bring it in. It's it's really crazy if you think about the majority of the population today is what we would call. Languishing and languishing is like the sense of stagnation and emptiness. It's like if you like you ever walked around and you're like, I kind of feel blah
0: or yeah, meh, right? I'm kind of here, I'm but I'm here, not.
1: right? Exactly, exactly. And this is such an, um, an important concept because in psychology, we think about mental health on a spectrum from depression to flourishing or thriving really right and and flourishing or thriving is really this peak of of well-being so you have a a really strong sense of meaning um you you feel like you can master things and things matter and that you matter whereas like the the complete opposite of that like the, on the other end is like cl- clinical depression in a way right and and I think a lot of people think that, um, if you are, you know, in this languishing space and it's unfortunate, 55% of us are languishing, that's a um, big
0: percentage. that's yeah. a
1: big percent. And this is why this matters to organization organizations. This doesn't mean that you are clinically depressed. You're right. not, you're just blah, but that's making, it through, you're making really. it through
0: the day. You're making it through the day, making it through the day.
1: Exactly. But what this what what is going on here and i think again like pandemic times shed a light on this but it doesn't mean that it just happened to people because of the no. pandemic it's just it just became so much crisper for us <laughs> we just had re-
0: much greater awareness into it exactly
1: exactly but what we found is when we we looked at all of our thousands of members and we looked at this data that when we move the needle for folks and through, um, about six months of coaching, you can really move the needle for folks, um, from this languishing space to one where people are going into a steady state and then also going into like the strong, super functional state. So like you're moving people, um, into thriving and then super functional that there are huge impacts at work. So When you move people from this kind of stuck languishing, um, they're five times more likely to then be rated as high performers at work. Hmm. They're twice as likely to get a salary increase. Wow. And this is huge. Nine times more likely, like the people that we moved over, are then nine times more likely to get a promotion. Twenty. This this one's number. This cr- cr- twenty <laughs> times higher levels of productivity. So this goes back to the question of why should an organization twenty x productivity, 20 x productivity <laughs> if you from someone who's five blah, or
0: ten percent of these lang- languishing exactly. people into the thriving. You're yes. talking twenty x of a return on that.
1: Exactly. Exactly. That's the ROI.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: That's the hard numbers. This is why it matters.
0: Well, and I think that's where it, th- this topic has, and this is where the data piece is so critical to it, is that historically, I think this has been, and you mentioned this very early on when you talked about the coaching, the leadership development mm-hmm. in the IO psychology, it's been perceived as squishy. Mm-hmm. You know, well, it's it's kind of the squishy thing. We, we kind of maybe think it has an impact, but we aren't really sure. We can't really quantify it. And now as the data starts pouring out, we're, we're starting to see this isn't just like marginally better. Making mm-hmm. these types of investment in your workforce, it's not a marginal nudge in yeah. performance. We're talking exponential performance, mm-hmm. not just types of things. So this is, yes, it's, and I think in the past, sometimes it's been perceived of, well, doing this is in conflict with organizational performance. Yeah. And instead it's, no, it's quite the opposite. It's a yes yeah. and. You make these exactly. investments- And you see huge performance returns.
1: That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And I think if you think about what's going on with our society today, so it's not just about well-being, like think about the social unrest that we're going through, like, you know, this week particularly is pretty important um, for us as a country. And no matter where you fall on that spectrum, like. Um, One of the things that is so essential for organizations today is to really focus on DEIB, diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging, Um, and being inclusive leaders and inclusive individuals at work and how important that is. And I hope I never have to go into organizations and make the case for why being an inclusive leader matters, but sometimes we we do, um, yeah. and 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 I think
0: <laughs> it still happens. <laughs> it
1: still happens, and I think it's because sometimes we have because um, it's hard. Like let's be real, it is hard. It is there. We have deeply seated um, unconscious biases that we don't even understand sometimes, but it's so important for us as as, as a species and as a society to be, to be thinking about these things, but then to be showing up, um, at work and in our life as inclusive individuals, building that, that belonging and that inclusion, um, for others. Um, but at the end of the day, that it also has like, dollar impact for organizations. Like if you're right now thinking about how am I going to transform my organizational culture from the way it is today to the way I need it to be post pandemic? Um, How am I going to transform my business model? Because my business no longer makes sense in today's world. I need people to innovate. I need people to be those engaged individuals and to be thinking differently.
0: And they need to be resilient so that they can be able to handle the change.
1: Exactly. Exactly. If you don't have a culture of inclusion and belonging, you are, you are hamstringing. No, not at all. Because those, um, those behaviors, those concepts are intrinsically linked for individuals, right? Uh, But we see when you have um, managers who are more inclusive and they create cultures of inclusion and belonging for their team members, well, gosh, then you have massive ripple effects within the organization. And that's where you see the the really big impact into team engagement going up, uh, lower turnover for organizations. Um, You have organizational support numbers and you're the kind of the NPS like the, the net promoter yep. score that employees give their organizations goes up. And those things translate, right? Team innovation improves. And that matters today more than ever.
0: Yeah. Well, and I've, and I've worked with a number of organizations where I think a lot of times they just haven't necessarily been tracking the data mm-hmm. and making the correlations. But any of them that I've ever talked to or worked with that have, They've never come back and said, you know what, I just haven't seen, it just didn't really do anything for mm-hmm. us. I don't really know why we did it. Every single time, universally, it has been similar to the data you showed, which is, it's exponential. It's mm-hmm. not marginal yeah. improvements. Mm-hmm. So so that leads me to the next piece, which is, you know, I think one of the things that has, you brought it up earlier in the show, that this kind of coaching or just coaching in general has often been... Mm-hmm here we're talking about inclusion, it has been very exclusive. It's mm-hmm. been a very exclusive resource to a yeah. majority of the organization where we've said, mm-hmm. well, yeah, we do coaching. Yeah, we do development, but we only do it for our top 1% yeah. of the organization because historically it's been extremely expensive. Mm-hmm. It's been something that- going back to your other point, we couldn't really quantify the investment. So if we're gonna pour money into it and we don't really know if it's gonna do anything, we're probably not gonna pour this across the enterprise. Mm-hmm. So how then is BetterUp, what, what steps are you doing mm-hmm. to help make it more yeah. democratized <laughs> to the workforce? Because clearly, based on the data you've shown, there's there's value to doing yeah. it, but yeah. then it's about, well, how do you make this scalable?
1: Yeah, it, it, exactly, and I think that's what comes back to our mission um, and to to allow every individual to live their life with clarity, purpose, and passion. But at an organizational level, it's been like like we said to democratize coaching, and we believe that every employee, no matter the level, could benefit from professional coaching. And so our programs and our solutions are individually crafted for every partner um, and their specific needs. And by partner, I mean our our organizations. And we work with a variety of customers creating kind of that that specially designed program for the employees um, at every level of their organization. And so it can be um, organizations as as diverse as, you know, because we work with every industry. Social media, yeah. technology, um, kind of your traditional um, large box stores, like wh- whatever it is, we likely work with them. And across levels, because the reality is when you're thinking about changing the way an organization functions, whether um, you're thinking about changing your organizational culture because you need to shift to a new new way of yeah. being, or you're rolling out a new um a new uh, culture around performance management. You want ongoing feedback and coaching to be part of your organization. You need everyone to be speaking okay. with each other. You're going through a merger and acquisition. Like, that's hard, right? Imagine bringing two it organizations is. together and what happens if people get let go cultures, and then the, the, the clash of, of cultures. Got, yeah, there's, um, there's a lot. Right. Digitization, like, all of that is happening. And so, It's not just people at the top who need support and you can't roll out an e-learning or even some training workshops to make those those really hard shifts happen. So when you're looking to really change behavior at an organization, when you're looking to to shift the way an organization does business. right? Um, you need the the majority of individuals to be part of that process, um, and you need yeah. them to have the skills to be able to to go through the change themselves. So we do a lot of work around leading change um, and managing through change. You need those skills across multiple levels, and that's why we work from individual contributors all the way up through through executives.
0: Okay. Got it. Well, and one of the things you brought up when you talk about that, that I think is important for practitioners in the L&D space is that sometimes we, we get kicked in the nose a little bit on this mm-hmm. because we aren't telling that story you just told. And mm-hmm. we're actually not elevating this kind yeah. of effort to an enterprise strategy level. It's more of perceived as a one-off, well, we yeah. want to do this for some learning stuff. No, this isn't this isn't a learning yeah. thing. This is an enterprise culture, strategy, transformation thing. This is a core component to what we're trying to achieve as a business. Yeah. And that's that's in the messaging. That's a big yep. part of the messaging that I think L&D leaders can think about as they're going back, rather than this feeling like, oh, here's another thing that the L&D team wants to go do mm-hmm. for the organization. No, this is something yeah. that we as an organization have to do to achieve the goals we're trying to accomplish with the work we're yeah. doing.
1: I couldn't have said it better. You're, you're hundred percent right. I think if anything is ever labeled truly as just a program for this group of people, it's not important enough for the organization. No. It has oh, to matter.
0: Funding for that or yeah. know, this and that. It's, yeah. it's
1: different. Yeah. But when was the last time a CEO said, mm, we're not going to go through that digital transformation or mm, this merger and acquisition that just, that's only going to impact this handful of people. They're going to be the only ones that impact it. No, our whole organization needs to to succeed and needs to do things differently. And so you're you're spot on. It has to be at that very strategic level.
0: Okay. So then the other question I have, again, we could keep going on this for quite a while, but one other one that comes to mind is, you know, so for, and and I think this might be an adoption question, gets to the Mm -hmm. adoption piece for organizations that are looking at doing this. Because a large majority of the workforce may not be familiar with coaching or may not Mm -hmm. even be familiar with this capability, there can be some adoption challenges that you may run into because they may not even know what they're being offered Mm -hmm. and understand the value. So how do you help organizations as they move into this? So that it doesn't just feel like yeah. another flavor of the week or right. oh, we're rolling out this new platform and people go, eh, yeah, what you know, exactly. whatever. I don't really mm-hmm. care. How how do you help organizations through that transition or tips to do it well?
1: Yeah. Well, so this is kind of part and parcel of how we work with our partners because that is such okay. an important aspect of it. And one of the things that that we really pride ourselves on is we make it super easy for our partners because the okay. beauty of better up is that it is easy for you as um, uh, an organizational owner of of these initiatives, because we take care of a lot of that for you. Um, But it starts with partnering with you on what is that that change management? What is the communication? And again, we do a lot of that heavy lifting and and help you um, make that right message stick within the organization. Uh, But it does start with connecting it to something that matters to the organization and to the individuals um, within the organization, right? Uh, But you're spot on is the message has to be right. It has to be targeted for the individuals and they have to see why this matters to them. But okay. then I will tell you this, Christopher, once they get in, it's not a problem <laughs> for them to get
0: it. that, Then it's not. Okay. So once they're there, it's fine. Well, and I think this goes yeah. back to <clears throat> helping people understand or just think through the fact that sometimes we have a tendency to think like, what's the thing that we just go and we, we sign on the dotted line and and, and the change happens. And the reality yeah. is, it doesn't work that okay. way. And so to your point, I think it's important that while there's tremendous value in this, yeah. you, you got to know that you're walking into, well, and again, we're not talking about just a program, some little program yeah. you're rolling out, we're talking about an enterprise transformation, yeah. and enterprise transformation doesn't happen overnight. And it doesn't happen without a lot of work going into it to help people understand mm-hmm. what are we doing why does yes. this matter how does this connect to the bigger vision and goals so i think that's exactly. that's an important piece to think through
1: yeah absolutely
0: 100% okay well i've got probably more questions than we will have for the remaining 3 minutes that we have so <laughs> i'm actually going to i'm going to actually wrap it here because i think okay. this was we were able to really unpack some really important things and i think it's Fascinating where you're spending your time as an organization. I think um, driving this message home of the importance of looking at your workforce holistically. And, and I, mm-hmm. in the post leading up to it, I said holistic development, yeah. not just not just what they want to do. So I think it's been fantastic. Um, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for sharing. For people who are interested, hopefully you got something helpful out of the discussion. If you haven't been thinking about (laughs) development this way, hopefully it's changed your thinking and not just on a squishy standpoint, but the hard data behind it. So Maya, I really appreciate you being here. Thanks everybody for joining us. And uh, I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful weekend.
1: Thank you, Christopher.